In a couple of weeks, some of us, a number of people in this room, I think, will be going on retreat at Land of Medicine Buddha for the Vipassana Santa Cruz retreat. I think there's two beds left for men in case any of you are interested. And if you're a woman, I would say apply anyway because sometimes things change. But um, what's true about retreats is that um, they often require a certain amount of renunciation. And those of you who have sat retreats before, you know this. And there's things that, you know, you go to the retreat and you stay where they tell you to stay and you eat the food that shows up and you live according to the schedule of the retreat, not according to your own schedule so much. And there's just a lot of letting go. And of course, you don't have all the usual stuff, you know, you don't have your email and your television and your favorite bathrobe baby or whatever it is that you don't have. There's always something. And I think I mentioned in here that a couple of weeks ago I was teaching a staff retreat up at Spirit Rock and we had skit night so that they could all have, they, we could all have some fun laughing at life at a retreat center. And one of the skits was about students arriving a particular student arriving at the retreat and this particular student in the skit was a senior student who had to have not only a single room but she had to have a double room that she was going to use as a single room and she wanted to have some of the furniture moved out so that it would accommodate some certain yoga practice and she needed to have a she needed not to have a job of any sort to help out at the retreat and she needed to have specific kinds of food and the skit kind of went on and on like that but one staff person at our meeting a few days after that said plaintively to some of us who helped to set things up up at Spit Rock couldn't the teachers please talk about renunciation a little bit so I'm doing it to help out (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, what happened to renunciation? You know, this idea that when you go on a retreat, you let go. And it actually gave some thought. You know, I remember hearing stories even before I started sitting retreats of one of the people who is now a Vipassana teacher, this Kamala Masters, who's in Hawaii, telling us about a retreat where she had slept on the floor in the hallway and people had to step over her in order to go to the bathroom. I thought that was really serious renunciation, actually. And I've been down at Yucca Valley when there were dormitories that had no windows and just a door, and there were bunks for 12 people in there. And I've been myself in rooms that were really designed to be two-people rooms, and they had eight people in there with bunk beds and assorted ways of stacking us up. And we just did it because that's what you did on retreats and nobody worried too much about snoring or, you know, privacy or whatever. And you can still, you know, there are still retreats that are like that and um, if you like, you can also do monastic practice where you go and um, there's only two meals a day instead of three. So once you have lunch, that's it until the next day. 
So renunciation is sort of woven into this practice, and the Buddha really talked about it a lot. And he talked about it partly because he was teaching a lot to monks and nuns, but he also really encouraged it as a way of looking at our lives. And um, and indeed, if you become a monk or a nun, it's what your life is described. It's described that you've gone forth into homelessness which is pretty interesting, actually, when you think about it. I mean, I when I see the homeless folks around here, you know, that's, that's often a little scary. You know, what would it be like to be homeless? And so they're, they're really asked to renounce that sense that you have a place that is yours, that you can call your home. And they don't have a home, you know, and as a monk or a nun, you stay at a monastery, but sometimes you go off to other monasteries, and often, even at the monastery up in Ukiah, they shift around. Who you know, you don't get to have one cabin that's always yours. You get moved from place to place. So that, and part of this is the teaching, so that you not get so attached to a particular place. And the only thing that they can, can call their own, they have two sets of robes and one ball. And that's it. All their personal possessions. So, you know, that's... I always go, oh, hmm, what would that be like? You know, because I, I like my home. I imagine most of you like your home. And, and a lot of us put a certain amount of energy into creating a place that feels comfortable and, and that suits our aesthetics. And we have our books and... You know, your TV and your DVDs and your computers and your CDs and and your refrigerator and your food and all of that is part of our home. And it seems quite ordinary and normal and the notion of giving it up is not anything that probably crosses, certainly doesn't cross my mind very often, probably doesn't cross yours either. And it is a little frightening sometimes to even think about you know, significant renunciation, or what if, what if everything were taken away? And I was talking with a woman the other day who was saying, you know, one of the scariest images in her mind for many, many years had been that somehow she would end up as a bag lady, you know, down there on the mall with nothing but a sack to carry what few possessions. And I know many, I've actually known many women who have that particular fear that something will fall apart in their lives and they won't have anything. So, why would we want this? Why would anyone want to practice renunciation? And and what is the point of the concept for those of us who are householders and who do have homes and lives and stuff? So not too long ago, I was sitting one day, and as I kind of softened into the sitting, one of the things I noticed was there was a place in me that was going, okay, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? You know that place? So no matter how long you sit, whether you sit for 15 minutes or 45 or an hour and 15 minutes, it's always there, that little, how much longer? And But sometimes we can move out of it and just let go, you know, the bell will ring or the timer will go off or whatever when it's done. 
And I realized that when I kind of let go of the notion of time, I didn't have any way to orient myself. It's quite interesting, actually. It's just kind of, there were no time boundaries. I didn't have an anchor. I didn't have a particular foundation. I didn't really have a a home in time, you know, that place where we look at the clock and go, oh, it's five minutes to eight, you know, and then you know exactly where you are in your day and in your life. And there wasn't any need for anything in particular, you know, I was just sitting, just sitting. And it was a little bit disorienting, but it was also quite interesting in that it was quiet and I didn't have so much agenda. There wasn't so much to track. And my suspicion is, in fact, I think I know, that this is really what the Buddha was interested in, is this place where where when we there isn't so much, and you could fill in the blank, then, um, then we're not so locked into a particular orientation, and we're not so locked into a particular way of seeing things. So, those of us who are householders, who have jobs and homes and relationships, um, but every now and then there are things where there are times when something is taken away. It might be several somethings. It might be you suddenly have to move, or it might be that you lose your job, or it may, might be that your car breaks down and you don't have an automobile for a while. Or it might be that your health gets really difficult. You get hurt or you get sick. And then a whole lot of things that you normally do are just gone. And you can't do them for a while. And we know that, um, you know, that this is a, it's considered actually to be one of the most stressful things that can happen in your life. And, and I certainly mentioned in here a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even last week, about that time when I was last in Hawaii when I had to pack up and I and I had to think you know, I thought if, okay, if I'm being evacuated, what do I take and what do I leave and so that kind of letting go, you know, what happens when you have to do that and and so our lives and our homes are something that we all, we think is just there, you know, it's part of our foundation, it's, it's, it's the place, you know, that that is always there, and and Robert Frost talked about it. It's a place where they have to take you in, you know, no matter when you show up, and and a place that you didn't have to deserve. It's just there, and it ha- we expect it. That that this foundation that holds our kind of precious and familiar things. So when we have that, the home with your dishes and your bed and your clothing and. And, or the job where you know the routine and everything is, you know, your bosses and your co-workers and you know how to do it and pretty much what to expect or, you know, you have a relationship that you've been in for a while and you know who does the chores, we hope, and who does the cooking and, you know, who's the most likely person to stay up late or get up early or all of those things that we come to know in our lives or... You live in a town where you know the streets and you know where the parks are and you know where the best vegetables are and you know you know where to go to have fun and and 
or in your home where you can find your way around in the dark. That's one of the things I always think is kind of interesting is walking around my house at night and and seeing if I can really do it without bumping into things, you know, just seeing how how well do I do I know it. So we get really identified with all of this. This is who we are. And often, if you think about it, we describe ourselves in terms of these things. We describe ourselves as a person who has this kind of job, who wears these kinds of clothes, who likes those kinds of TV shows, and you know, you think about it. And if you're if you're asked to say, you know, what kind of a person are you? Who are you? You'll you'll describe a lot of your stuff. Is what you'll describe. And you know, we like this. As I said, it's our foundation. We look forward to going home. Even a monk, you know, who doesn't ostensibly have a home, but I've heard them talk about how glad they are to get back to the monastery or how glad they are to get back to what is settled and familiar for them. So, and we know those moments. You're in a new job. You know, it's your first day and you're totally disoriented. Who am I? Who am I? I don't know who I am in this situation. I don't know how to be in this situation. Or sometimes when, when you're traveling, when you've really let go, that's a marvelous place to look at. You let go of so much, you've got everything in your little rollerboard, right? And who are you? You know, there you are in downtown Bangkok and you don't know anybody. What's going on? How do I be here? Or, you know, sometimes even women will know this. You change your hairstyle, right? You know, and then you look in the mirror and you think, oh my God, is that me? You know, is that, do I, you know, do I spike my hair up? You know, like, I, I, that, was, that was a change when I did that a few years ago. Um, or, you know, a place that doesn't reflect our personality. And so, so these are such important things and the loss of them can create so much stress and the Buddha says get over it let go let go like I said at the beginning those of you who are here at the beginning you know that's that's the sum really of all of the teachings of the Buddha very interesting to think about that statement you know that's all you really need to know is let go over and over again and the Buddha very, very clearly also said over and over again that what he was about was to teach us how to come to the end of suffering. So even though this letting go feels painful and it's a high-stress item on those, that list of stressors, it's also apparently what we need to do in order to come to an end of suffering. So when we have an identity that's caught up in places and things and stuff, that, the Buddha says, is what leads to suffering. Because all of those things come and go. We talked about, remember last week when we talked about the eight worldly dharmas, you know, pleasure and pain and loss and gain and praise and blame and the one I've lost. I always lose one. But those things that just come and go and everything's constantly changing, you know, and we lose stuff. And that wonderful teaching, you know, Ajahn Chah had a favorite teacup, you know, that he really loved to drink out of, kind of like this. And and it was a thing, 
but he really loved it and he wanted, you know, he had people who were attending to him would always make sure he had that cup. And somebody finally said to him, but Ajahn Chah, you attached? I mean, what about renunciation and letting go and impermanence? And he picked up the cup and he looked at it and he smiled and he said, I consider this cup to be already broken. <laughs> you know, you could consider your car to be already crunched or your house to be already burned down or your job to have already disappeared. And, and he's really pointing toward what happens when we really begin to have that sense of not holding on so tightly to our things. So when we have these moments, when we don't quite know who we are, this is really useful to have those, to even make it a practice. And this is where I think the practice of renunciation really comes in. When you, when you intentionally let go of something for a period of time, like going to a retreat or, or permanently, maybe in some cases, and you let go of it, and then you go, okay, what happens if I don't have that? How does it feel? You know, what is it? What, who is this thing that I usually call me when I don't have all of these identifying factors around me? It's really good. And often, certainly in my life, if I look back to the times when something has changed dramatically, or a job has disappeared, or a home, or moved completely to a new place, um, you know, it was traumatic and really difficult at the time, but often that's where something new comes in because there's some opportunity for something new to come in in those moments. So we know that. It's sort of inherent in our just plain old human wisdom. And even though it, you know, we don't necessarily see it in the moment, and sometimes you know, it's really easy for me to say, looking back on moving to California when I was 21, that, oh yeah, that was a great opportunity at that time. You know, but it was also a huge loss in some ways for me at that time. So um, it, it's much easier to see with that kind of perspective. So we can work with this, you know, in, in just little ways. And I certainly, on behalf of all retreat personnel everywhere, invite you to work on it in, retri- in retreats. Now, when you're asked to let go, if you go to a retreat anytime soon and somebody says, oh, you have a double room, you know, and you take a deep breath and go, oh, yeah, renunciation, you know. Okay, thank you very much. You know, it's a really nice room. I'm sure I'll enjoy my roommate. Or, you know, the food is not quite to your taste. Or I've been lobbying long and hard at Spirit Rock for them to serve coffee because I love coffee. (laughs) You know, so I have to remind myself, oh, renunciation, you know, maybe I can make do with tea or very least take my own coffee. Um, But whatever it is that we do that we have to let go of, and, and make that part of your practice. Some people, I knew somebody who, um, and I've done this, played with this a little bit myself, um, who on a long, long retreat took just about three sets of clothes. She wore effectively the same thing every day. You know, just let go of all the clothes stuff. And, you know, if it was Monday she was in blue and Tuesday she was in green, and that's what it was, week after week after week, for three months. That's what she wore. 
And so that was her form of renunciation. And I talked to someone else on a retreat who said that, I just remembered this, I hadn't thought of this when I was writing this talk this afternoon. She said, every day I decided that I would put aside one thing that I really didn't need. And so each day she would, I don't know where she took it, back to her car or something, she just decided, okay, I really don't need, I don't need the shawl. You know, so the shawl would go. And then she would think, oh, well, I don't need this or I don't need that. I don't need quite so many clothes. So she'd pack up a few of her clothes and take them to her car. And she said by the end of the retreat, her life was pretty simple and it felt really free to her, you know, not having so much stuff. So even just the renunciation that comes with sitting. So that brings us back to where we started. Now I'm cold without my shawl, so I'll take it home. <laughs> but, you know, even that, that place where, where you're just saying, okay, just this moment. Because that's remarkable, isn't it? Just this moment. So you're letting go of your plans. You're letting go of dinner. If you haven't had dinner yet, maybe you're leaning out a little to dinner. Or you're letting go of tomorrow, you're, or letting go of the rehash of today. You're just going to be here in this moment. And maybe if you're sitting down and you have a timer, like I said at the beginning, then you're letting go of needing to track time for a while. I strongly recommend it, actually, if you're sitting at home, that you find a way. And you know, there's a gazillion timers out there now in the meditation you have to sort of not renounce meditation timers in order to renounce time, but you know. So find a timer or something that will let you know when you're a chunk of time so that you can let go of that and just see what happens as we work a little bit with that practice of renunciation because then we can begin to see this freedom that the Buddha pointed us toward is what it, what would it be to not be so oriented to all of the things that are home so even though you're not going off into the kind of homelessness that is a monk and <coughs> certainly we don't want you to go off into that kind of homelessness where you're really stuck without a home but there's a way of being that the Buddha is pointing us toward that is, in fact, not identified with any one thing or place or any many things or places. And, and that place of not identification is the place that he tells us is the place of freedom. So I think I'll stop there and see if you have questions or comments or if I've scared you about retreats or <laughs> whatever. So please, chat. Yeah. Um, uh, I, uh, last year I spent a couple of weeks at Plum uh, Village, the monastery in mm-hmm. France. And others who have spent time in monasteries may have kind of similar observations or experiences. But um, I remember when I first got there, it was, it was really hard for me to distinguish uh, or, or to recognize uh, different monastics just uh-huh. because the garb is all the same uh-huh. and everybody has a shaved head. And, uh-huh. um, and uh, my first kind of impression was like, 
it's, there's there's something of the individual lost in the kind of conformity of dress and style. And by the end of the my time there, that was totally flipped on its head hmm. um, because it's it's like in renouncing um, kind of uh, more superficial uh, indicators of who you are as a person. Um, it forces everyone else to look at the more subtle aspects. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. kind of easy handles, uh, you know, in your clothes or hairstyle or whatever. And so it's like you you have to pay attention to facial expressions, to mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the more of the essence of the person as opposed to kind of yeah. things that they're choosing for themselves to to present. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I don't know, I thought that was a really beautiful example of kind of renunciation leading to a kind of a greater freedom and, a, and, a, and more of a spontaneity mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. The other thing I've noticed that you're reminding me of, I've, I spent some time a few years ago at Amravati, which is the, uh, a monastery in England, and, um, and it's sort of the mother monastery of the monks that, who are here in California, Ajahn Amro and all of those folks whom some of you know. And um, there's quite a large contingent of nuns at that monastery who are training. And I was invited to spend some time with them in a couple of different circumstances. And I got to watch the young nuns who were training. And one of the things they renounce is they renounce or practice, I, I guess I would say they, they practice a kind of renunciation. I don't think they're asked to formally do this. But they're trained to essentially not take up space in a, in a gathering. So, you know, you know how it is when you're with people and, and you kind of put yourself in the conversation. And I watched them just intentionally hang back because they really were letting go of self. It was astounding to watch. I was utterly impressed I don't know that I could do it you know so that they really were moving into a place of not being anybody and then I suspect blossoming into the kind of thing that you're talking about so yeah I just um, came back from a retreat which is kind of a little bit different than strict Buddhist retreat there uh-huh. was not as much renunciation at all but one of the major renunciation was being silent was speech uh-huh. and um, uh-huh. important yes yeah and in terms of identifying to your you know the core exactly. itself speech yeah. is Thank you for that. Big one. Left that one out. And it was um, really wonderful because we had a half day of speaking, maybe a little more, a half day of evening, yeah, of speaking at the end. And to watch the ego just barging in as Uh fast as it could the Uh minute you open your mouth. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah. 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 And uh, so it's just such a great place to be in terms of. Thank you. The, re- the renunciation of talking is a huge piece at silent retreats. Yeah. No. Oh, please. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I'm saddened that I won't be able to go this mm. week, but 
my experience um, going there in the past has been that it's such a sense of the renunciation and teaching because it really um, teaches one to develop that sense to develop that sense of self, mm-hmm. that identity, you know that. And I think about it now in this time of political turmoil that we have, in which divisions between class and race are being played out in, in the narrative of the country. That what an incredible. Um, what an incredible thing it would be if people were able to, for one time, just go into retreats to lose all this notion of difference mm-hmm. and identity and, and, and mm-hmm. so that they could really come together to really mm-hmm. go introspectively. I guess that's just uh, maybe <laughs> the side that would never take place, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the national retreat. But, really <laughs> national retreat. but I mean, if, if you do it even locally, you know? uh-huh. Uh-huh. but anyway, just mm-hmm. wanted to share how, mm-hmm. how, um, how wonderful it's been for me. Mm-hmm. Pablo Neruda wrote a beautiful poem about that. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but about yeah, about Send it to me. being silent. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I'll make a few announcements. I guess I don't need to make an announcement about the... um Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.